Why do we preach or why do we teach on repentance? We preach repentance for the remission of sins. Repentance is mentioned actually 105 times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, mostly in the New Testament. It's alluded to many more times. And we we need a lesson on what repentance is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And those of you who've been saved any length of time, there's some inside information about what's going on even in, in our camp and in our circles and in churches much like this with the doctrine of repentance. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. There was a man by the name of John who bought a parrot. He brought it home all excited only to find out the parrot was rude and obnoxious and used profanity. And he did everything he could to straighten this parrot out. But the parrot would feign or pretend that he was repentant and go right back to his obnoxious ways. John kept warning him. parrot kept uh, pretending he was repentant and uh, going back to his, his obnoxious ways, being rude. And finally, one day, the parrot just let out this profanity-laced, obscene thing that he said to, to John. And John said, that's it. He grabbed him, and he, he put him in the freezer, and he shut the door, and there's clattering there inside the freezer and all this squawking. And, and finally, there was this, yikes! And, and then the squawking stopped. And John thought, uh-oh, maybe I heard him. So we went inside, and the parrot flew out into his arms, just repentant and, and saying, thank you for letting me out. And And John said, have you learned your lesson? And the the parrot said, yes, I repent this time. John said, well, that's good. The parrot said, I just got to ask you one thing. What did that turkey in there do? (laughs) I got to wonder if that was true repentance, don't you? Well, we're talking about repentance, and uh, we talked about it before. We're going to finish up what we started last time. And here in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse number 46, Christ is talking, and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. I draw your attention back to verse number 47, where it says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Notice these words, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. We preach repentance for the remission of sins. Why do we preach or why do we teach on repentance? Well, repentance is mentioned actually 105 times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, mostly in the New Testament. It's alluded to many more times. And we we need a lesson on what repentance is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. 
and those of you who've been saved any length of time, there's some inside information about what's going on even in, in our camp and in our circles and in churches much like this with the doctrine of repentance. And repentance has been made something that uh, is not mentioned when it comes to witnessing. Uh, and as a result, we have very shallow soul winning, if I might call it that. We have very shallow results. We have professions of faith being made, but no fruit. Where is the fruit? Where is the evidence of a life that's been changed? I think the missing ingredient is repentance. There are many who will talk about faith. Put your faith in Christ. Faith, faith, faith. And I'm all for faith. But they'll say, don't mention repentance. There's a reason for that. It's a carnal one. Sadly, if they bring repentance into the equation, it's going to hinder the salvation of souls, or should I say at least the professions of faith that are being made. And it can, it can become a numbers game, folks, of, well, we can, we can get more professions of faith if we don't go down that road of repentance. Well, folks, you can't just preach faith without repentance. I've called them many times the Siamese twins of salvation or twin sisters, if you will. And they're mentioned together in many places. In Acts 20 and verse 21, it speaks of testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here is talking about the gospel he's preached for so many years. He's wrapping up his final missionary journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He stops off in Ephesus. He gathers some preachers from that region together, and he talks about the message he's been preaching for years now, and notice what it entails. He testified to everybody repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, twin sisters of salvation. We read this over in Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Uh, Paul speaks of not laying again the foundation of, notice, repentance, from dead works, and of faith toward God. He's saying, we've talked about that already. We're not going to get into it again, and we're going to move on to something else. But he mentions the two things that bring about salvation, repentance and faith. Now, back here in our text, we find Luke chapter 24, what is actually another way of the Great Commission being given. Not as famous as Matthew 28 or maybe Acts 1-8, but this is the, the, the Great Commission that Christ gives just before he ascends up to heaven. And notice what he mentions in verse 47. He says, "...and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem." Our Savior preached repentance, didn't he? He told us to preach repentance because he promoted it himself. We read earlier in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 where he said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This business of repenting is so important that without it, a person will die lost. Go out into a Christless eternity. Go to hell forever. He says, nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then Peter later on would add this. In Acts 3 and in verse 19, he told that crowd, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That's what people need. Forgiveness, sins blotted out, but it comes about as a result of repentance. And he also tied it to conversion. Repent ye therefore and be converted. He's talking about being saved there, being what Christ called born again. And he brings repentance into it. And he says, repent ye therefore and be converted. And you know what? 30 years later, Peter hadn't changed his message any. 
as an elderly man in his 60s, later on as he's writing his last epistle in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord's not willing that any should go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. He's talking about how we get saved here and avoid hell. Now, what is repentance? We've talked about this many times. Many of you could stand behind this pulpit and say what I'm about to say. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance comes from a Greek uh, word uh, made up of two parts, and it's, it's metanoio. And we've said this many times. Meta just simply means a change or a transformation. And, and we use that expression as we talk about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a metamorphosis. It's a change. Noeo, the last part of the, the equation here, we, we can tie that pretty close to the word knowledge, can't we? Noeo, our thinking, our knowledge, our mind. Together, metanoio simply means a change of mind. And so to repent simply means to change our mind and it results in a change of our thinking and in a change of our reasoning. Didn't you reason different after you got saved? I sure did. Everything looked different. It results in a change of our reasoning, a change of our heart, and a change of our action. It's just all boom, 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 like dominoes. It just affects uh, the one next to it. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. We find the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14 say these words in verse 15. He said, We preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven. Now, keep in mind he's talking to heathen people. He's trying to put it in as basic words as possible. And he's saying to them, We preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind about uh, an idol or vanity or anything that we would put ahead of God, anything that is contrary to the Word of God. And Paul said, this is what we preach to you. He told us in Acts 20 what he had preached for years. Here we find at the earlier stages of his career, him actually doing it and saying to the people, we preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. We studied this recently in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Paul speaks to those folks at Thessalonica of how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice again that turning. That's what repentance is. It's a, a, a turning over of your mind, if you will, a change of your mind, and it results in a different life. And he said in this case, how you turn to God from idols. And we always think of idols as, you know, totem poles and walla walla, you know, bowing down before them and all that kind of thing. But an idol is simply anything that I put ahead of God or you put ahead of God. And, and, and it's, it puts God on the back burner. And, and so it could be a number of, of different things here. Now, repentance is not, I'll repeat, repentance is not a promise to ever sin again. I'll never sin again. You can't promise that. None of us can. In fact, it says over in, in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. And the truth is not in us. So it's not a promise to never sin again. There are some who try to put words in our mouth and they muddy the waters with these outrageous definitions. It's not a promise to never sin again. And it's not even a covering of all the bases before we can get saved. Well, I'll never do this again. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to do this. You're going to miss one. You'll definitely miss one. There's no way you can cover all the bases because after you make a profession of faith, you go, ah, I forgot that one. It's not that at all. 
But I'll tell you one thing that I have noticed, and, and biblically speaking, as well of even over 30 years of preaching, I've noticed there's often one, one thing or one roadblock, there's other issues, but there's normally this one obstacle that's, that's really the thing that comes to mind. It might be the last thing to fall. It's, it's some God, it's some idol, it's something that, that'll come to mind that will be the final thing to where you go, all right, I know what I need to do about this. And I think God purposely puts examples in the Bible of folks who come to terms with, with, with some issue in order to get saved. For example, what are people going to think? There are a lot of folks, that is the last thing to fall when, 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 they, when they consider getting saved, when they're being dealt with. With some folks, that looms there, and it's kind of like, whoa, if I do this, it means this, that, and the other thing, and what are people going to think? We read over in Proverbs 29, 25 that the fear of man bringeth a snare. And a lot of folks have been snared right there. They have gone no further than that. I, I, I just am not willing to deal with what folks are going to think. And it's the fear of man that bringeth a snare. We find over in Revelation 21, 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Notice just what are people going to think. It, it hamstrings a lot of folks. I think of Nicodemus. Why did he sneak out to Jesus by night in John chapter 3? He was deathly afraid of what his cronies would think of him if they knew he was going to talk to this humble carpenter from Nazareth. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And then there are other things that, that are that roadblock. You know, especially in the day and age in which we live in, sexual immorality, some relationship that somebody should not be in. I think of the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, a Christ shows up in Samaria. She shows up in the heat of the day to get water. Not the time that women normally came to the well to draw, but she, she had this sword past and, and even this steamy present. And, and so she's there, and they start talking about various things. And, and uh, she starts getting a, a little bit under conviction and turns the conversation over to religion. Uh, you say in Jerusalem's place to worship, and we say it's this mountain, and uh, what do you think? And Christ just ignores the question. He says, go call your husband. Now, where'd that come from? Well, he knew exactly her past, and she goes, <clears throat> I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had several, and you're living with a guy right now. She goes, <clears throat> and uh, she goes, I perceive you're a prophet. He dealt with her sin. He pointed out her sin. He cut to the chase. He wasn't going to chase that rabbit of religion. She had a need here, and it was salvation, and she wanted to talk religion, and he wanted to talk repentance. Repentance. Sometimes it's immorality. Sometimes it's a false religion. Boy, that was it for me. That was it for the guy over in John 9 who was born blind, and he got saved ultimately, but his parents didn't. Remember that story? They said, he's of age, ask him, and they were scared to death of getting booted out of the synagogue, losing their religion. Well, that guy wasn't. Their son got saved. He lost his religion, and he went to heaven. And on that note, let me just mention this one. Sometimes it's family ties. That guy took his stand. His family went that direction. He went this direction. I can understand that. And maybe you can understand that. You know, Jesus had this to say over in Matthew 10 and in verse 36. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's pretty tough talk. But it really speaks of the depths of the commitment when we get truly saved. 
and, and the reason for involving repentance. Sometimes it's family ties. Sometimes it's greed or materialism or, uh, you know, I don't want, I want to get saved. God might make me a preacher and I want to make a lot of money. I got big aspirations. I think of Zacchaeus. That didn't stop him from getting saved though, did it? Thank God for that. But some folks, it really does. I think of uh, another reason that somebody might not get saved, and that's, that's position. I think of Paul there. He had all this breeding and, and upbringing, and, and he was a rising star in, in Judaism. And it meant money, and it meant power, and it meant position. And it might have stopped him for some time from really taking that plunge. I think of Simon the sorcerer. He had a sway over the people. He had, he had power over them, if you will, position. And that probably kept him from salvation for the time. I think of self-righteousness. With some, that might be the last thing to fall. Boy, they're just such a good person. You know, they used to say of my mother, oh, she'll pass a satellite on her way to heaven, and she had never been saved. And that can make a person very self-righteous. And I think of the rich young ruler who said, all these things have I observed from my youth on up. And Christ pointed out to him his hypocrisy, his self-righteousness, his covetousness, and the man went away sad. There's his roadblock, and he turns around. He doesn't get saved, as far as we know. You know, self-righteousness sends a number of people to hell. We find in Luke chapter 18 a story of a, of a Pharisee and a tax collector going into the temple, and the self-righteous Pharisee, he stands there and he tells God how good he is. The publican simply says, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and he gets saved. You know, some folks, that roadblock actually is a work salvation itself. There are some who just refuse to give up trying to work their way to God. I remember working part-time uh, in the early days of this church and witnessing to my boss and giving him all the verses about salvation being free. It's not of works. It's for by grace you're saved and all this. And he heard it all out very politely. And when I, when I was done speaking, we're sitting in the van together, and he said, I still think you've got to do something for it. He just wouldn't let go of it. That can be the thing that will hamstring people. That can be that final roadblock, that thing of works. We read it a moment ago. In Hebrews 6.1, it says, Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Trying to work your way to heaven is a dead end. Dead works, it's called in the Bible. And, and that's where my mother struggled and, until about a month and a half before she died. And finally, the, the scales fell off. The very thing she needed to repent of was her works. Well, there are other things that we could talk about them, but it's more than, than repentance from unbelief. And, and I've heard that many times. Well, you just got to repent of your unbelief. But James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So you believe there's one God? Great. But the devil even knows that. The demons even know that much here. Now, we also find a number of examples in the Bible of those who weren't willing to repent. Not just the rich young ruler, but, but guys like that, that wicked king, Herod Agrippa. Paul witnessed to him. We read it in Acts 26, 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, but not altogether. And then there was sinful Felix, the Roman governor, 
And he had this incestuous relationship going with a gal by the name of Drusilla. And Paul preached to them. We read about it in Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. And as Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. He, he trembled. There's conviction. There's that, that important, pivotal point in his life. He's in the valley of decision. All he's got to do is say yes to Christ, but he doesn't. He says, Paul, get out of here. You're making me feel yucky. And Drusilla, by the way, historians tell us Drusilla perished in 70 AD just a few years later in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, which buried Pompeii in ashes. Her and her son were two of those trying to flee when the city was, was buried and she died. You know, Christ said in Matthew 6 and verse 24, no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. He made it very, very clear. So here we have salvation, and it's really just simply a surrendering of the ownership of your life, if I could put it that way. And we sing it even around here, King of my life, I crown thee now, right? King of my life, I crown thee now. And what we're, we're doing is we're surrendering the ownership of our life to our Savior and taking up our cross. We're following Him. And Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so the desire, the intention at salvation is for us to follow Christ. Does that mean we'll never veer to the left or veer to the right? No. In fact, does that mean we'll, we'll never take back the steering wheel? Have you ever taken back the steering wheel? Sure we have. Did you make a mess? Sure you did. <laughs> were you miserable? Sure you were. And, and if you hang on to it too long, according to Hebrews 12, you're going to end up in God's woodshed because he loves you too much to see you taking the thing off of course so far here. But you don't lose your salvation. Now, again, it's a change of mind that results in a change of life. And we have that mentioned in a very, very common verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a change of mind that results in a change of life. All things become new. You know, that happened in Nineveh when Jonah went preaching to the people of Nineveh. And they were wicked. Perhaps one of the greatest revivals of all time took place as people changed their mind and it resulted in changed lives. And it even changed the mind of, of God from judging that city. It results in a desire to obey. John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits, meat, or evidence of true repentance. Somebody says, but pastor, aren't you, aren't you preaching a work salvation when you talk about lordship salvation? You know, it really depends on your definition of that. And again, it's a straw man that's often used to muddy the waters by those who don't want to preach repentance. No, I'm not talking about uh, about you mustering up some kind of repentance. In fact, only God can draw the lost sinner and only God can produce repentance. I'll show you that from the Bible. Repentance is a work of God, not a work of man. We read this in Acts eleven eighteen. Then they said, Hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life? Then hath God granted repentance unto these Gentiles. Only God can 
produce a change of mind. That's the reason you can't mechanically get somebody to pray a sinner's prayer and, and call it good and you know, now they're saved because they said the words. No, it's not a mechanical robot kind of a thing. There's got to be some God-given repentance. Let me just say this. In the months preceding March 5, 1981, before I got saved, I looked at Bible salvation as, as weird. I mocked it. Uh, I, I, I thought, you don't have to go that overboard. And, and God doesn't go that overboard. I had a God of my own imagination, right? I had invented my own God. And I could not have changed my own mind. Only God can bring about repentance. We read this in 2 Timothy 2.25. It says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure or perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. If God perhaps will give them or grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Repentance is a change of mind and it produces a change of lifestyle. There was a Dutchman in Africa, southern Africa years ago. They call them Afrikaans over there. And this Afrikaan came to a fellow Afrikaan, another Dutchman. And he held up a watch and he said, do you recognize this? And the man grabbed the watch and he saw his initials on the inside and he said, I lost that. That's my watch. I lost it eight years ago. And the other man said, no, I stole it eight years ago. And he said, well, why would you be bringing it back now? He said, I got converted last night. I'd have brought it back to you last night, but you were sleeping already. He said, I want to get right. There was a man by the name of L. Johnson down in Kansas City. He was only 19 years old when he was part of this group that robbed a bank. And he didn't say anything for years. Years went by, and pretty soon the the statutory limitation had expired. But he got saved. Al Johnson got saved, and he still went to the authorities. And they couldn't prosecute him at that point. But he said, I got converted, and I want to pay back every dime of it. And he worked for years making restitution for that. It's a change of mind that brings about a change of life. Now, someone says, but isn't repentance the same as faith? Aren't they the same thing? Well, look again carefully at this verse behind me. Acts 20, 21 says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It makes an obvious distinction here, doesn't it? We're talking about two different things, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, and both of them are necessary. You cannot leave repentance out of the equation and expect salvations. And that's why Christ said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Somebody says, but isn't this, re- this preaching of repentance kind of a new thing? Kind of in the last several decades? No, it's just the opposite. Actually, there's always been the preaching of repentance. In fact, Noah Webster, who used the Bible to actually give the definition of words, said this way back in 1828, and I quote, he says, real penitence. Now, he's describing repentance. It's real penitence, sorrow, or deep contrition for sin as an offense and dishonor to God, a violation of his holy law. They were saying that years ago. And then B.H. Carroll preached this in a sermon way back in 1889. He said the preacher who leaves out repentance commits his gravest sin as the one who leaves out faith. That preacher must preach repentance just as often and with as much emphasis and to as many people as he preaches faith. 
To omit repentance, to ignore it, to depreciate it, is rebellion and treason. And I quote, and then he said this. He said, many preachers are downplaying and redefining repentance for their own glory to count a greater number of, quote, converts. It's not something we're saying now. They were saying this back in the 1800s. This was going on back in the 1800s. This getting rid of the repentance thing to boost the numbers. This, this uh, easy prayerism crowd. And, and I love them, but, but I've I got to be honest here. They're whitewashing the sepulchers of men like this, of Spurgeon and others, and saying, oh, we believe like them. No, Spurgeon and others preach repentance. By the way, they'll bring John R. Rice and Lester Roloff into their camp, but both Rice and Roloff Preach strong repentance. Exactly what I'm talking about here. So, they're not in that camp. Now, I need to hasten to say that I don't advocate the Puritan form of repentance. And you say, well, what's that? Who are the Puritans? Puritans go back to the, uh, the 16th and the 17th century. And they were, they were uh, a group of people who wanted to purify the Church of England, the Anglican Church, or the Episcopal Church. They were trying to purify the Church of England from its Catholic practices. And the Puritans had the mindset that you could not be saved if you're carnal as a, quote, Christian. And you've heard that. No such thing as a carnal Christian. You couldn't be saved. Well, we've already looked at verses that, that speak of brethren uh, being carnal and so on. I believe a Christian can backslide. Have you experienced that firsthand, or am I the only one? Okay. If I'm lying, I'm dying. A Christian can backslide. I know that firsthand. You know that firsthand. The Apostle Paul struggled with that firsthand. Paul said in Romans 7:18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He struggled with that. So to require that a sinner make Christ Lord of every area of his life permanently before he can genuinely get saved is impossible. It's, it is the worst form of works. It's a work. It's a dangerous doctrine. And it also puts the emphasis on the salvation experience that the person will keep reliving over and over again in their, their mind. Rather than the shed blood of Christ, they're, they're trying to make sure they cross their T's and they dotted their I's. And it results in this continual examination of this experience. Many of you have heard of H.A. Uh, Ironside. He died before I was born. Uh, he actually was a great preacher from the early 1900s. But he was persuaded that he could get 100% victory over the old nature. And he agonized with it. And he sought for perfection, and he fasted, and he cried out, and he, he strived, and, and begged God, and sacrificed, and finally, he felt he had gotten it. And he testified before the church. He was all excited, all joyful, only to mess up again, and again, and again, and again. And finally, it drove him crazy. He ended up in a mental institution. He was about to just give up on the whole thing when he met some Christians who came along and helped him in this area of sanctification to understand it what it's really all about here. And he had a very fruitful ministry after that. Now, there's a few, and we have a minute or two left, there's a few miscellaneous nagging questions that I'm just going to address real quickly here. First of all, does, does salvation need to be some kind of drawn-out process that's going to take a long time? No, uh, it's in God's timing, and, and, and there are folks who get saved on one sermon, or one witness. Secondly, doesn't everyone who prays a sinner's prayer get saved? 
And that is asked based on this verse, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, it says right there, the call upon the Lord got to be saved. Doesn't every sinner who prays the sinner's prayer get saved? No. In context, you have to read that whole passage. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. This is just part of a passage. And so we can't take that out of context. No, salvation is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not even the prayer so much as the attitude. I am sure there are folks who have gotten up in an invitation and on their way down the aisle, boom, they made that decision in their heart and mind and they got saved. And the prayer to follow is is a formality quite often. But like the tax collector I mentioned a moment ago, simply said, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. That's a change of mind. That's a metanoio. Thirdly, someone says, isn't it just unbelief that condemns? Well, there's no question that's part of it and a large part of it. But we saw it a moment ago in Revelation 21.8. It says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. It's, it's more than unbelief. But that is a large part of it. Unbelief really wasn't my problem, folks. When it came to getting saved, I mean, there was, there was no question about the belief part. It was the sin issue. And, and with me, it was the family issue, and it was the church, and what people would think, and... and uh, and with the rich young ruler, it was covetousness. He didn't have any unbelief there. He, he comes sliding into Christ, worshiping. He knew who he had there. He recognized him as Messiah. He just wasn't ready to repent. Now, maybe you sit here today, and you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe understand a little bit better all it entails. Simply a change of mind about your sin and a placing of all your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing. That's salvation in a nutshell. But we see within it the importance of repentance. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.